0: Welcome to Spiro Avenue, and now your host, Justin Spiro.
1: Hello, I am Justin Spiro, and thank you for joining us today on the Spiro Avenue podcast. The illusion of success, that is the subject of today's opening statement. The Detroit Pistons today grabbed themselves a few headlines, acquiring guard Avery Bradley from the Boston Celtics in exchange for forward Marcus Morris. But what does it mean? That's always what we're going to look at. What does it mean in the big picture? Sure, just about any intelligent basketball fan will tell you that Avery Bradley is a better basketball player than Marcus Morris. And the 2017-2018 Detroit Pistons are likely a better basketball team today for having made the trade. But we here at Spiro Avenue will be taking a look at the big picture, and we're going to tell you what's going on big picture for the Detroit Pistons going forward. The big picture, not much has changed for the Detroit Pistons. This organization has likely taken one step forward, sure, but big picture, two or maybe even three steps backward. Now, you must ask yourself, you're a Detroit Pistons fan, what do I want from this basketball team? If you care about championships, today is, at best, a neutral day for you. Team President Stan Van Gundy, like so many wise executives before him, has created an illusion. On purpose or by accident, it doesn't really matter. It is an illusion nonetheless. The Detroit Pistons are about to show you the illusion of success. The Detroit Pistons are going to be good enough this season to fool you. Paul George has left the Eastern Conference. The Wizards may lose Otto Porter and frankly are flawed to begin with. That leaves Cleveland boston toronto and a whole stack of mediocre take a look at the past three seasons 49 wins was good enough to place a team fourth in the eastern conference fourth place means opening the postseason at home on your home floor with avery bradley the detroit pistons are good enough to win 49 games in this conference sure they'll need some better luck with health last season was a nightmare but the pieces are there The structure is in place for a 49-win season, particularly when you look at the mediocrity surrounding their schedule. The conference is as down as ever, and it's been down for years. So get ready. Get ready, people, for the illusion of success in the debut season at Little Caesars Arena. Brand new arena, coming off a 37-win season, missing the playoffs. Hey, 49 wins and home court advantage in round one, it seems kind of appealing, yeah? If you are Stan Van Gundy, winning close to 50 games and creating a sense of league relevancy has got to be really attractive. But do you care? Do you care about a false sense of relevancy? Or do you like your teams being viable contenders for NBA championships? Avery Bradley has arrived. But guess what, guys? Andre Drummond is still here. And Andre Drummond is still the franchise player for your Detroit Pistons. Now, even if you think Andre Drummond is a star or can be a star, is he the right star? Carmelo Anthony, been a star for years, never even sniffed the NBA Finals. Stephon Marbury for years was considered Starberry, the franchise player for three different teams, particularly the New York Knicks. Spike Lee wearing his jersey courtside. Did they even sniff the NBA Finals? They weren't the right stars. Carmelo, Stefan Marbury, I would even argue Allen Iverson, who got to a finals, not the right star. So sure, even if you say Drummond could be the star or a star, is he the right star? Much like Drummond, the players I listed, immensely talented, but with glaring holes either in their games or in their psyches or in some cases both. Now we care about facts here, and we always will. The fact is not a single team in the NBA has won a title with a player fitting the profile of Andre Drummond. If your franchise player is deeply flawed, particularly mentally, you simply do not win an NBA championship. That is what history has told us and I challenge any Drummond of the supporter or apologist to cite the, ex- the exception of this rule. It doesn't exist. In decades and decades of league history there's not one example that you can cite of an exception. Now typically when you're having this conversation, the 1978 Washington Bullets are brought up as the worst NBA champion in the post-merger era. Guess what, guys? 1978 Washington Bullets had Wes Unseld leading the way, a former league MVP who ended up winning finals MVP that year. Okay, that's the bottom of the barrel. That's, that's the worst team that ever win one by multiple accounts, by most people's c- consensus opinion. They had a league MVP. Andre Drummond's never going to win a league MVP, people. So sure, Avery Bradley's a great two-way player. He's going to bring it every night. He's a perfect fit for this town, the blue-collar mentality. He's a going-to-work player. That, that's great, and I like the guy. I think he's a great acquisition. But Andre Drummond is the star of this team. You know how I know? He makes the most money. His face is on the billboards. His image is on the season ticket booklets the team sends out to their fan base. The entire franchise has been built around him, both on and off the floor. Andre Drummond is essentially a one-man protected class, fiercely guarded by arena ushers who have been trained to eject any fan who even casually mentions the star's free throw ineptitude. And believe me, I know from experience. Yes, acquiring Avery Bradley is nice, and the Pistons should win a bunch of games. But don't be fooled. They are no closer to an NBA championship today than they were yesterday. And I would argue the moderate success of NBA purgatory may simply delay the full rebuild necessary to achieve viable contending status, making today a setback in the big picture. At best, the Pistons have likely spared themselves the embarrassment of an empty new arena that would come from another 37-win season. They should win enough games to keep your interest and the seats occupied. But in the end, Real title contention, viable, real contention, remains as far away as ever. And that is the illusion of success. Stan Van Gundy's team is about to put on one heck of a magic show. Now we move into, with that said, the first guest ever in the history of the Spiro Avenue podcast. For this instant reaction that we're dying for on this Pistons topic, which is ruling the day here in Detroit, Ryan Shuling, host of the Shuling Report on 92.1, the team, FM in Lansing, joins us in studio. Ryan, how are you?
0: Spy, I am honored to be your first guest. Uh, I've been waiting for this moment for you for some time. I think it's well-earned, it's well-deserved, and I hope people enjoy the take that you have, which, like you just demonstrated, I mean, very well thought out, very well-reasoned and articulated, and uh, almost cost you your life with Andre Drummond. I remember it well.
1: Uh, it, it, that was a wonderful experience. Uh, I it was at the Pistons game and pantomimed underhanded free throws to Andre Drummond two seasons ago. Just That was all I said. Didn't say a word. Just pantomimed underhanded free throws. Just did the motion and he threatened to kill me and later seemed to act on that threat by charging me only to be held back by his teammate Reggie Jackson. We could do a whole show on that. That was an interesting night to say the least and it really showed a lot about Andre Drummond's psyche in my opinion but Where do you stand on this? I mean, what's your take on this Avery Bradley situation? Does does this mean anything in the big picture? I'm
0: going to play devil's advocate a little bit, but in large part I do agree with your take. I I see the long view of a one step back and two steps forward. It can also be characterized, I think, by kicking the can down the road. They don't want to commit, and I agree with this decision to let KCP walk. I don't think he's that type of player either. I mean, you're talking about all these kind of B-list celebrities, if you will, with Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson and then KCP would have been the third of those. And this isn't the going to work pistons. They don't have a front man in other words. They don't have a Ben Wallace, that kind of attitude, that kind of game. They don't have a Chauncey Billups. You know, to compare Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson to those two I think is an insult to Ben Wallace and Chauncey Billups. So, and Avery Bradley, I like a lot a lot of things about, you know, digging into his stats, some of the reviews coming in about his game Field goal percentage, he worked on his shooting, he improved that to 46% this past season. That's 6% higher than KCP, who was just under 40. Also a better rebounder from the shooting guard position than Marcus Morris. So Bradley in and of himself, I like, but then they're going to have to come to another decision a year from now. Now what do you do with Avery Bradley? You're going to let him, it's going to be KCP all over again. So... I don't think this solves anything. That's where I agree with you. And I think the real question is, is Andre Drummond your superstar? Well, you're absolutely right. They're marketing him as that. They're putting him out there as that. But they're protecting him like he's a child. I mean, for an usher to come up to you, don't talk about his free-throw shooting. or You're going to be ejected from the arena. You know, I just drove by. You don't live too far from the palace here. And now it's like a ghost town. And I'm just kind of having these thoughts and these flashbacks. I was at the 0-4 championship uh, game, game five, when my brother watched him win it all. Bad Boys Pistons, probably my favorite team ever of any Detroit sports team. They lack that, that fire, grit, passion, leadership in the locker room. And I was talking to Rod Beard of the Detroit News earlier today on my program, and what he said was the two players that Stan Van Gundy pulled aside when things were really bottoming out last year to kind of talk about the status of the team and where things were going were Marcus Morris and KCP, and those two are going to be gone. So now I ask, who is the leader Of this team. That's a different question than who's the face of the franchise. We know that's Andre Drummond. But do you have any confidence that Andre Drummond can lead on any level? I do not. And I don't know that that's just going to come on from on high and be dropped out of the sky and all of a sudden he's going to become a leader.
1: You know, here's the argument that I've been making for a couple years, and I wanted Drummond Traded before it was the cool thing in town. Yes, okay. you did. Yes, I, was, you did. I, I, I wasn't just the first on the train. I built the train. I designed it. The train the train is my baby, okay? <laughs> I'm the white star line building the Titanic, and the, the comparison is apt for a number of reasons. Andre Drummond is 23 years old, pushing 24, mm-hmm. and people are making the argument, you know, he can still grow. And, and when you, here's my point. I went to college, okay? I went through college, I graduated, but by the time I graduated, I was, everyone I knew was 22, 23 years old. There are a lot of guys that I knew at age 23, Ryan, that were total numbskulls, that were getting into trouble, that were drinking every night, that didn't have their head on straight, etc. I'm 30 now, okay? Fast forward seven years. Every idiot I knew that was an idiot at 23 is still an idiot. <laughs> There's not one that made the jump now they may be a little bit more mature it's not to say that there's no improvement i think anyone with some brain cells is going to have a little bit of growth if you're an idiot at 23 or if you're mentally soft if you're sensitive at age 23 just ask yourself people out there how many people did you know at 23 were mentally soft were were timid were uh, unable to handle situations with any pressure whatsoever and then suddenly at age 26 they were world beaters it just doesn't happen and again, I, I look to the example of the NBA. Name me the star. Name me the mental midget star that at age 22, 23 years old, had all sorts of problems and just was attacking fans, on, his own fans, on the sidelines and was going after any media members that, that, that dared question him on the free throw issue that was so isolated and insulated. And then suddenly at age 25, 26, a couple years later, was leading a team to the charge for the Larry O'Brien trophy. There's no precedent for this. So if you're in the Andre Drummond is gonna get it together camp, you're you have no examples. I can set you a thousand times that this didn't work out. Where this type of situation ended up in a Carmelo Anthony situation or a Stephon Marbury or an Iverson, where you had a star that had and these guys are better than Drummond, I think mentally. You know they weren't. There's no. There's actually no precedent for a guy being this big of a baby. The best example I can think of was Chris Webber, who just would play hot potato at the end of games. Chris Webber may be like the 25th best player in the history of the game. Andre Drummond's not Chris Webber, okay? So there's no history to suggest that Drummond can be the guy. Now, to answer your question, who's going to be the guy, I think it could be Avery Bradley tomorrow. Hmm. I think he might come in you know, when uh, he's on a one-year deal, which complicates it. But when Chauncey Billups signed as a free agent, granted a multi-year contract, obviously, it was his team from day one. Ben Wallace was already there. But Bill Ups had assumed sort of the control of the locker room and was the guy. Bradley came off a very good team in Boston, plays both ways. He's a stand Van kind of guy. I could see him taking the mantle of this team tomorrow and being the guy. Now, again, do you re-sign him or not? I mean, we had a debate earlier today in the group uh, on the group page about this. If there's guys that think that this is a one-year thing, just get out of the contract, and Stan Van Gundy's going to basically tank, I don't buy that. I said it in the opening segment. I think... Stan Van Gundy is trying to win as many games as possible each individual year. And I, what is his long game? Where is the path to a title? I don't see it. Do you see any path to a title for this organization?
0: Well, that's what I was saying earlier is uh, can I see one step back to take two steps forward? I think this is part of that process, and they've been very much focused on the shooting guard position in the moves they made, including the draft of Luke Kennard. And they pick up Langston Galloway, a solid player. You know, New Orleans of recent, and uh, Avery Bradley, another one. You're talking about solid players, but none of those breakthrough kind of superstars, and you're probably not going to attract those to Detroit, especially as a free agent. But you know, getting back to the leadership thing, you know, can, a, can an Andre Drummond lead? Has he demonstrated any ability to do that? Well, when I watch him sit at the end of games where he's been yanked out because of his free-throw shooting that he refused to work on, which Rick Barry, on the Drive with Jack, the show that follows me in Lansing, confirmed that Andre didn't even want to meet with him, turned him down, was offered the opportunity, and Rick was pretty put off by that. So that's one side of the equation. Then I talked to Peter Vesey, and this is a guy that for years was the go to source, all things NBA, 80s and 90s. And he kind of joked, well, I can see a lot of people that wouldn't want to maybe get involved and work with Rick Barry. He's kind of an abrasive, prickly personality. But he went along with that, you know, Andre Drummond for his great of a rebounder is, tremendous physical skills, if there's not that passion, that desire to get better, how can he demand that of others? How can he look to everybody else on the team? You're not giving me your best. Oh yeah, Andre? What are you doing at the free throw line? And what are you doing to improve there? That's a non-starter. He's checkmated from out of the box. So you know, this 23-year-old stuff too, let me touch on that for a minute. You know how old Isaiah Thomas was when he was drafted by, by the Pistons out of Indiana? Uh, oh, 22? He was 20. 20. Okay. He was 20. And he was a ferocious leader then. And I think if there's a starting point, like Isaiah wasn't perfect at age 20. He made a lot of mistakes, and the Pistons weren't very good for several years until he got his feet under him. They added Lambier, and they added these other pieces. You've seen the 30 for 30 documentary. It's wonderful by ESPN about the bad boys. But he had a starting point from which he could grow and then lead. I don't see that starting point with Andre Drummond, and that's what scares the hell out of me because you look at the contract, the commitment, the numbers – The advertising, like you're talking about, they're plastering them all over. Like, this is our guy. And then we're left to wonder, you and me and all the Pistons fans, really? This is our guy? This is the best we can get? You make such a
1: good point, too. I mean, I'm not asking for Andre Drummond to be a completed project as the leader of a franchise at age 23. He's not going to be a finished house. But I'd like to see the foundational laid down. exactly. There, There has to be some sign that he can become that. And at this point, it's just blind faith. Even the biggest Drummond apologist in the world can't give you any tangible reasons other than he's young and will grow up. There's no tangible reason why he's going to ever develop into that. And look, you can say, OK, Drummond makes the most money and he's on the billboard and he's the one on the brochure that they sent out for season tickets and he's the guy they're marketing. But, but don't worry, someone else is going to take the mantle. Guys on professional teams aren't stupid. Mm. They know what guys make. They see who's on the billboards. They see who's on the brochure. This is their guy. So I don't care. You can say they're going to bring in someone, they're going to import some free agent or make some trade, or Avery Bradley's the guy now and he's going to take charge, which I think he very well may. But at the end of the day, Andre Drummond is the guy because you can't fool the players into looking away from all the reasons they've chosen him as the guy and all the ways they've chosen him as the guy. You know, Avery Bradley's making, what, about $8, 8500000 this year? Nearly nine. Yep, eight, okay. 8.8. 8.8, thank you. Uh, Drummond's making, what, three times that? I mean, you, you can't, there's no credibility yep. there. So, sure, I'm not, it doesn't say Bradley can't be a leader at all, but he's not the guy. This is They have married themselves to Andre Drummond, and I don't see a path to a title. I think this thing should have been scrapped. I wanted Drummond traded two years ago. I was told I was an idiot. There were rumors, I think it was Mark Stein, I don't want to get it wrong, but I think it was Mark Stein from ESPN, said that Boston was willing to trade two Brooklyn picks and another piece to get an established big man two years ago. That created my hypothetical trade that we talked about ad nauseum. Would you trade Andre Drummond? I threw out Jay Crowder. I made Jay Crowder up, but I said Jay Crowder and the two Brooklyn picks, which ended up being you know, uh, what, first and second overall. Mm-hmm. So they won Jalen Brown, and then they traded out of the first pick this year. But you would have gotten the first and second overall pick. If that if Mark Stein was right, Mark Stein's a pretty credible guy, and the Detroit Pistons could have traded Andre Drummond for what amounted to be the first overall pick in the draft and a second overall pick in the draft and another piece, useful piece, if Van Gundy passed on that two years ago, we'll never know for sure. That's, that's criminal, in my opinion, because now look what you're stuck with. You're in purgatory, and look— I am the biggest pissing critic in the world. It's in my Twitter profile. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. This team, assuming health, is going to win a lot of games this year. And this town's going to get excited and there's going to be buy-in. I, I see this coming 10 miles away. And I've been on top of this team for about five years now. I've nailed everything I've said about them. I've been locked in, Ryan. I hate to toot my own horn because I've been wrong about some of the other teams. The Pistons, I, I got down. And you can mark my words. Again, assuming health, two guys get hurt, everything's off the table but assuming health this team's going to win a lot of games relatively not 60 but you know a lot of a lot of games relatively between 45 and maybe even 55 games if everything goes right weak conference they have a lot of better pieces than look at the rosters in this conference so what happens Ryan
0: if this team wins 52 games what do you think the town's going to get on board right without question and with the new arena the excitement surrounding that and people are going to be interested from the get go because of the change, uh, yeah, I could definitely see if they're a 50-win team. Now, I don't necessarily see that coming. I still think this is maybe a 500 team, a little bit above, maybe a 4-5 or five seed in a weakened Eastern Conference. We've seen Paul George shipped out, so Indiana, you would figure, drops off a little bit. It's on the young guys now. I mean, Stanley Johnson, I think it's about time that if he doesn't break through as some kind of impact player, that's an indictment on Stan Van Gundy as well, because he was very high on Stanley Johnson. He had a choice to make in the draft that year, and it was a top-10 pick, and so far, I've been less than impressed. I mean, you got Ellenson probably stepping into a more prominent role because of the attrition up front. I still think there's a move to be made up front. I mean, if, uh, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas, and Andre Drummond would be the player traded, and you would open up an entire amount of cap room in, in so doing. But I just don't see another team being willing to take that on. The, the hottest rumor I heard before the draft would have been kind of <laughs> you know, trading one spare uh, part for another, and DeAndre Jordan. Who's also one of the worst historic free throw shooters of all time, and he's just older than Andre Drummond. I don't know if that would have solved anything.
1: I think Drummond's a better player, and I'm like yeah. the ultimate Drummond hater. I'd rather have Drummond than DeAndre Jordan. I, I just my fear, as I've laid out, is they're going to win a lot of games, and then you have lost the opportunity to rebuild in the public. The public eye, a rebuild is pretty hard. It's pretty rare for fan bases to buy, and you saw it with the process in Philadelphia, where the fans were generally supportive of what Sam Hinkie was doing. Uh, again, there was some blowback, but, you know, there was the whole trust the process uh, sort of mentality there. And I think that came from the, the executives with that team, it's particularly Sam Hinkey, just being honest and being transparent about what they were doing. And I think fans can appreciate that. Stan Van Gundy is going to build up false hope here. In a fall. That's why I said it's the illusion of success. People are going to say there, there was a 10-game improvement. Even, Ryan, even if you're right, and they win 41-42 games, whatever, that's going to get you in the playoffs probably, especially this year. And then they can sell that. And if they win one game in the playoffs, it's better than anything they've done since Dan Van Gundy got here. So, you know, we're splitting hairs whether they win 44 games, 42, 50, whatever. The bottom line is they're going to be significantly better, in my opinion anyway, than last year, and they can sell that. And I don't want people to buy it, Ryan, because I think it's going to happen, and I think it's going to give people a false sense of the progress. Great. You're better. You're better than absolute crap. But if your goal is to win the title, And that's all you care about, and that's all you should care about in my estimation. At least giving yourself a chance. This team has no path whatsoever.
0: How much of it is Stan trying to win as many games as he can, trying to compete like you're saying, and just getting so far? And you're talking about that purgatory state, which in the NBA is maybe worse than any other sport, to be in that, and that's where they are, that kind of pocket. And how much of it is going into what? Year four of his contract, five-year deal, Tom Gorris. He doesn't say a lot other than he appears to have complete confidence in SVG, expresses that, and he said the same about Andre Drummond. So is this a make-or-break year for Stan? If they don't, if they fall at the table, if they tank, if they get into the lottery, I mean, would that be enough for Gores to pull the plug? That, that's a question that only Gores can answer. But in, in one manner, I, I have to think that Stan, because of the, the regression that we saw from a year ago, and you can pin only so much of that on Reggie Jackson's injury, he might be singing for his supper, and maybe he feels he's – doing this he's making these moves he's coaching for his job and if that's the if that's the end game if that's the goal then you're right he's going to reach maybe when he shouldn't if there's a long-term plan in place he might not think he's going to be around to enact that plan
1: you know I I, it's possible I don't think Stan Van Gundy has that mentality I think that's what Ken Holland is doing down the office uh, down (laughs) the office at LCA I don't think we disagree on that I mean Ken Holland is in self-preservation mode with the Red Wings I think Stan Van Gundy is a true believer in everything he does. I don't think Stan Van Gundy in his life has ever done anything other than what he thought was best right. for his employer. I, so I don't think that. I, I think he really thinks that they can you know, maybe make some noise and, and win a lot of games, and his job, his job is to win as many games as possible. And if that's your mentality, that my job is to win as many games as possible every year that I'm coaching – Sure, I mean, this is a great plan, but if you have a longer-range view and your goal is to win a title, I don't see how this makes sense. And I, I, think he, I think he thinks he's doing the best thing for the team. I don't think he's in self-preservation mode. I just disagree with the path. I only, Look, I don't think the 76ers are going to win a title with this plan. I don't, there's mm. no good option, okay? I'm not saying Stan Van Gundy's a total moron. You know, I, he's in a bad spot. It's not a destination city. This team has had no luck in the lottery. It's a tough job. I don't envy him. I don't. But I would rather have like a 2% chance of winning a title than what I think is essentially zero. I mean, wh- who's who's shaking in their boots because of the Avery-Bradley
0: trade? Well, let's so let's play this out the other way then. Let's say they don't do the Bradley trade, they hold on to Marcus Morris, and they give KCP the extension, they match whatever any other team does. Are, are they better off? I think they're worse off if he does that. So I it's agree. not like yeah. I'm jumping up and down about this move, but I do encourage you know Stan to change some pieces on the board and walking away from kcp i do think is a good thing i don't think it would have been you know to the benefit of the pistons long term to sink that money that commitment into kcp and now you're hounded by his contract and andres and reggie is that a triumvirate you're confident in
1: no i i I couldn't agree more on that i mean contavious caldwell pope this entire show ryan before this trade today was going to be on how bad i think kcp is i i mean at least you know Pound for pound, dollar for dollar.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing all these dollars thrown around and his name tied to him. I'm like, no thanks.
1: No, no. I, I, you could offer him to me at half the rate they're saying and I would still cringe. Maybe I'd sign it because that's the market and the market is a cringe market. Right. But I, I wouldn't do it. But let, let's move off the Pistons. And, and that's, you know, the main topic of the day. I just want to at least touch on the Michigan State thing with you. Yeah. It's a little bit, you know, the waves have calmed down. And, and now that we're out of the emotion of it, the Michigan State football program in particular. Look, the news story has settled, but what is your opinion on what's going on up there? Because I think – I don't care what Mark D'Antonio says, and I love Mark D'Antonio. Okay, there's a picture of him over my shoulder. I can see it. I love Mark D'Antonio, but he has said the education was there with the sexual assault issue, that they did everything they could, and the players let them down and didn't meet the expectation. But at what point, in your opinion, does the buck stop with the head coach who's had multiple incidents up there the past six months? I've said it, too. It's like drip, drip, drip. It's just one thing after another. To what extent do you hold D'Antonio
0: culpable for the culture of the program as it stands right now? I think ultimately entirely, I, and he, I think he knows that. And I think that's why when I was at the press conference where he finally addressed the media about the charges that had come out, and he wanted to have that press conference. Let's get that clear. He didn't want to hide this under the cover of night. He knew that legally they had to, but the drip, drip, drip you're talking about, he's fully aware of and he knows it's taxing, it's taking its toll. On this program, and the fabric of the program, and the perception of the program, on how people can recruit against him in living rooms, and there's nothing he could do; his hands were tied. Now, finally, he comes out, and it was Fred Human, formerly of the Detroit uh, Television here, WDIV Channel Four, who's now back in Lansing, that asked him if he felt betrayed by the three players in question—Corley, King, and Vance—and he came right back and said, "No, I, I'm angry. And why is he angry? He's angry because everything he built." what I call the decade of D'Antonio, which has been greatness. You and I were down there together for that Cotton Bowl when they were on top of the world and it was just like, man, how did they get here with two and three star recruits and consistently building and great quarterback play. Kirk Cousins and Brian Hoyer and Connor Cook and everything that built to that point in large part has been washed away, at least from a perception standpoint and attrition. There have been guys that have left the program for other reasons. It's all fallen under the weight of itself almost because let's go back to the word used with regard to Andre Drummond the foundation the foundation that he thought he had built crumbled entirely and so he's angry because the actions of these three guys totally undermine everything that he thought he stood for and there's nothing he can do about it to get that back of course he's angry so when I think about is he is his job on the line is he on the hot seat that's only as good as the person holding the purse strings that's going to make that decision, which is Mark Hollis, who I might remind everybody was so averse to firing somebody like Tom Anastas, who was a calamity as head coach of the hockey program. Didn't fire Jackie Joseph after the tremendous controversy that Matt Charbonneau and Tony Paul covered so well, and we'll never know the truth there, that the girls involved changed their story. Didn't fire her. He is so... Hesitant, reticent to fire anybody. You think he's gonna pull the plug on D'Antonio of all people I don't see that happening. And Luana K. Simon same thing. I think that they're lockstep behind D'Antonio. So the whole thought of, well, if he goes three and nine, uh, he'll get fired. I don't think he, he gets fired if he goes 0 and twelve. I really don't. I think everything is about the off the field stuff. If there's another incident, if there's another rape or anything along those lines, that might be grounds for firing. But the on field product, I think he's built up enough capital to earn that respect from those who hired him. A decade, like like I said, ten years here. I don't think I don't think it's fair to just cast it all away and just say, well, one bad year and one bad offseason and these punk kids did this and say, Well, that's it for me with D'Antonio. I think the fans in all honesty, owe it to him to see if he can get out of this. Now, if they go 3-9 and nine again and there's more turmoil and the leadership issues in the locker room and Trump-Hillary divided the locker room and they were divided along black-white lines, But that all happened, If that continues and there's no, nobody to grab that torch of leadership from inside that locker room, whether it be Brian Lewerke or somebody else, then maybe you take a second look. But I, I think he, he is owed and deserved the second chance to see what happens in 2017. Make or break. Again, that's up to Mark Hollis or Lou Anna, Keith, simon
2: yeah,
1: I, I have to back up about 12 seconds here. Trump-Hillary was a dividing force in that locker room? That's the first 100%. I've heard that. I haven't heard that. 100%. You know that for a
0: fact? I know that for a fact through various sources. Absolutely, yeah. yes. There wow. was, uh, it's dividing everybody. Precisely. Riley Bulla, in particular, was vocal about his support for Donald Trump. And there were many, obviously, in the locker room who uh, took issue with that. Oh,
1: you, you plugged your nose and voted for Trump. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't vote for him. And people still think that we're like the two worst guys on the planet. I mean, you know, I know just, the heat that I've taken. Yeah, that's it's for it's sure. Unbe-
0: it's unbelievable. But I mean, that's the thing. That was only a part of it. But it was, a, it was a part of it. And I'll say this to a further point. I mean, you know, here, Rico Beard is my colleague. OK, he does the Spartan Beat, which airs on our station. And, and I like Rico. But there was a moment, there was an instance with regard to Curtis Blackwell, which in various forms of communication with you, I told you, that he had been hauled away from the Duffy Doherty building in handcuffs. Yeah, you knew this way before it came out. February, I knew this. Yep, And I, I didn't report it because I didn't think at the time that it was relevant to the case in terms of the rape allegations and everything else, and also that his name, which would come out later for other reasons, what kind of people would fill in the blanks there. And when that came out, I made a bet with Rico about the Gonzaga-North Carolina National Championship game. And I had Gonzaga, he had North Carolina. And he had followers coming at me saying, hey, if you win, uh, Ryan should have to out his source who told him that some staffer was hauled away in handcuffs. Well, lo and behold, Matt Mancarini from the Lansing State Journal not that long ago confirmed in a police report that yes, indeed, Curtis Blackwell was escorted out of Duffy Doherty in handcuffs out the front door. Now, at the time, what I didn't know was that Rico, who is very good friends with Curtis Blackwell, called Curtis based on my reporting and said, hey, wait, Curtis, did this happen? Curtis said, yeah, 100%. Yes, it did. Now, obviously, Curtis was thinking this shouldn't have happened. I don't know why they did this. They could have taken him out the back. Did they have to be that dramatic about it? That wasn't my point or place to decide, but that's what happened, and I had it you know, through a couple of other sources that I conferred with and said, I've got this intel from somebody who saw it firsthand. You know, And I checked with David Harnes. Do you, do you have this same? Yes, I do. I checked with Al Martin, WKAR. His producer drove by while it was happening and saw it. Now, just to build on that, the Curtis Blackwell phenomenon is tied directly to the disaster that Michigan State faces right now. And it's tied to the divisions in the locker room. Because he had his favorites, his guys, from his sound mind, sound body camps in Detroit, and he was looking out for them, and there was a clear faction of his and not his. And, and that only contributed to the problem. The Trump-Hillary stuff was another one. You heard about John Reschke. I mean, the, the racial slurs that he dropped, that's another issue. You know, all of these things from what was once a, I think, unqualified, unified locker room with leaders in it, and they lacked that last year tremendously, and the, the soul was sapped out of that team. My source tells me that they were just dreading coming to practice almost every day, and I mean, Mark tried to turn that around, but the whole mood, attitude, morale of this team, not just the losing, but the fact that they didn't like each other That's what was coming to the surface, and that's what concerns me the most.
1: It'll be interesting to see what happens. Backing up, I totally agree with you that they could go 0-12 if the program keeps itself relatively clean. Mark D'Antonio not only won't be fired, he shouldn't be fired. Frankly, Michigan State fans need to realize where they came from. I'm speaking from that side, okay? This isn't Alabama. It's not even the University of Michigan. Don't get such a big chest that you think a year down, maybe even two years down, and you're going to go fire the coach, okay? Uh, you, we're not that program. And I'm proud of this this program, and I'm proud of how far they've come. And they have a rich history going back to the 60s of winning national championships, and that's great, wonderful. You're Michigan State at the end of the day, okay? I don't bow down to anyone as a Michigan State fan, but I also know that they don't have the luxury of firing a guy like Dan Tony with that track record because you know what? There's no improvement coming through that door. There's no upgrade. So that would just be ridiculous. And these people that are suggesting – you know, our our good friend uh, Scott Anderson said not not the Gator, the fake Gator. <laughs> got to clarify. Yeah, I got to clarify. No, <laughs> I don't want uh, my fellow uh, former WBFH staff member Scott Anderson coming after me saying I was his friend because I don't I don't think he likes me all too much. But our friend Scott Anderson was saying, you know, oh if they go five and seven or four and eight, he wants them gone. I mean, that that's just where are you coming from, Scott? I mean, I know you grew up with this team being good every year, and you know you're younger than Ryan and I by quite a few years, but it's michigan state okay so i mean be patient i don't i don't see that happening but you know i appreciate your insight with that and we're going to actually touch a little bit on our next segment about michigan state so if you're willing to sit there and hang out for a couple minutes while we get through it i would love to get your response on today's loser uh we are moving into the last segment first i'm going to hit on today's winner and this is something i'll set it up again Every week, at the end of the day, this is as much a media criticism show and website as it is a sports podcast or website. And I'm going to look at what the media in town is doing, what they're saying, if they're doing a good job or a bad job. And I want to offset every mean thing I say on this show with something nice. It's you know sort of like the, the motherly lesson. So it's good of you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm mean, I, I'm trying to you know, I'm trying to be a good guy, Ryan. There's a lot of people that a lot of people don't like me. I just you know. I like you. You like me, and and my producer, Jeb, likes me, and my family likes me, but that's almost the entire list. It's it's a rough – I have like 50% of people who like me in this room, and there's people that that want my blood on the ground. I don't know what to tell you. So I'm going to try – I'm trying to be a nicer guy. I'm like a a reformed alcoholic, okay? Consider this my AA meeting when I cite you today's winner. Hi, Justin. And today's winner, many of you probably already know if you're listening to this show, I tout him often. He's a basically winner in life, as far as I'm concerned, Steve Neveling of the Motor City Muckraker website. He runs this website himself. He's just just a great guy and uh, what I like to call sort of a throwback journalist. And there's so few of these guys out there today, guys that are going to ask tough questions. His website's called Motor City Muckraker. He is the ultimate muckraker. This guy doesn't care what position of power you're in, how much money you have. He's going to get in your face. And he's not unfair. He's not combative, but he's just going to say, Hey man, what's going on with this? Why'd you approve this bill, or why'd you why you sign this you know uh, sign this bill, or approve this easement, or whatever? He's Steve's going to get in your face, and there, there's like four guys in town that still do this stuff. So Steve, who I consider uh, I'm I'm friendly with him, Steve's a great guy. Steve had a good article today that just came out uh, a couple hours before this was recorded, and this was actually printed in the Metro Times, not on Motor City Muckraker, and this was an article about. Uh, Detroit Free Press editor Robert Hauschka, who was, according to Neveling, forced to resign today. Since 2015, he has been in the top spot at the Detroit Free Press. He's the top editor. It's basically the boss. I mean, the the guy runs the whole whole publication. And according to Steve, the page views and revenue were down at the Free Press, no surprise, and the Freep was, quote, not churning out enough meaningful news. So... Uh, this was a great piece for a number of reasons, just great reporting by Steve. Steve talked to, I believe, six different sources at the Free Press who confirmed this information to him. As far as the Free Press was concerned, Hauschka was resigning of his own volition. Steve blew that up immediately and explained not only the fact that it was a forced ouster, but it gave the reasons why. And it's just good reporting. I mean, there's, it'd be so easy to just take the Free Press at face value and walk away from it. But, of course, Steve has a lot of sources at the Free Press. He's a former free staffer himself, and he went and got the real story, and that's something I appreciate, especially given my own history with Robert Hauschka, who, by all accounts, great guy. I've never met him. I tried to talk to him and meet him several times when we published the Drew Sharp plagiarism story at the Detroit Sports Frag in December of 2015, a story that I broke in uh, Christmas Eve of all days. Detailing Drew Sharp's plagiarism of Dave Harns at iSports Web with the story with Connor Cook and his relationship with Miranda McCoy, a quadriplegic who has been an inspiration for the Michigan State football program for some time now. The, the story with Robert Hauschka, in my opinion, and look, I don't know him personally, but I can tell you about his professional life. Robert Hauschka, ironically, of, of all people, did not respond. This is a guy who was the top editor at a major daily and issued a de facto no comment when he was approached about a plagiarism scandal at his own shop. Now, look, I, I don't have a master's in journalism, but I have a bachelor's, and I know a thing or two about the industry, and I, have a th- I know a thing or two about the standards. I like to say I, I graduated from the best journalism school in the world, whether or not people agree with that, Michigan State University. But I don't think it takes a journalism degree or an expert in the field to know that when your newspaper is accused of plagiarism and the evidence is there, we have the smoking gun. And it's being reported not just by our our blog at the Detroit Sports Rag, but multiple outlets, Metro Times, Cranes, Motor City Muckraker, Awful Announcing covered it on a national scale. When you have that much noise around you, you got to respond. you got to say something. And, you know, I, I think Drew Sharp should have responded. But at the end of the day, when you're the editor at a major daily, it is your job to respond to that controversy. At the end of the day, you have to put out the fire. That's your house. You're letting your house burn down. So look, I'm not happy the guy lost his job. I'm not celebrating his career demise. uh, How mean spirited would I be to do that? You know, the the Steve's report, Steve Neveling's report, detailed the fact that um, Hauschka's wife was laid off by Hauschka, forced uh, forced termination of employment. I believe a little over a year ago. So now they're both out of a job. And according to Steve's report, Hauschka has a son with uh, a potentially terminal brain illness. I mean, it just, it's a terrible situation, and there's no winners in this. But I have to look at, at the state of the news. I, I think the Detroit Free Press could not have been led by a worse guy, not personally, but professionally. He was completely absent. It was, it was criminal negligence and lack, and showing of lack of responsibility in the ultimate time of need. That staff, the Detroit Free Press staff, Nick Katsunika, Drew Sharp, multiple others were forced to get the brunt of this from the public because the top guy didn't answer. Your job is to answer and cover your staff. That's your job as the leader. That's your job as an editor to protect your newsroom. Not just the integrity of it, but the integrity of everyone beneath you. Hauschka didn't do that. He was. They needed him one time. There was one major issue he needed to tackle. And that's the ultimate failure of Robert Hauschka. It's not lack of page views or clicks it's not that they didn't break enough stories frankly we broke the one story about them that's one more story than they broke in the two years he was there robert hauska's legacy is that he had a plagiarist caught red-handed on his staff and he didn't do a thing about it but the point being rounding back steve kneeling great job bravo steve this is what we need in this town the freak tried to pass us off as a a resignation that could have been listed for any number of reasons, family reasons. He's moving to a different state. He has a different job, whatever. Steve gets to the bottom of the story. Steve doesn't care what a press release says, and he says, I'm going to go find out. So that's good Good on Steve. Just He's, he's the best. I mean, really, him and Chad good, who just moved to Cranes, the two best journalists in the state as far as I'm concerned, you can maybe give John U. Bacon up there in Ann Arbor the bronze. I mean, there's <laughs> there's some really good reporting coming from those three guys, and they're just the best. I'm going to get to today's loser right now. And again, the loser of the day. I'm not calling him a loser as a person, but it's Mike Veleni. It's Mike Veleni who, for my money, not that it's saying much, is the best in town on, on the air. Now, if by the guy across from me, Ryan Shuey, never comes to town, he's going to get demoted the second. But for now, in the Detroit market, Mike Veleni the the best. So let's get that off at the top. I mean, Mike's great. I, I think he's a, he's a talented guy, and he's the best show in town. But he totally botched this. I mean, this was, I believe, yesterday, maybe two days ago. Mike Vellani was arguing that Jim Harbaugh, head coach of Michigan football, is under significantly more pressure than Mark D'Antonio going this season. It's typical Spartan slapping Mike Vellani. Let's play the first of two clips.
2: We know, look, I believe Mark D'Antonio is both under pressure and on the hot seat. I believe this fall will be Mark D'Antonio's last year at Michigan State for a myriad of reasons. Okay, I have
1: a myriad of reasons why I think that's a stupid take. I mean, we covered about half of that already, and we'll we'll round back to Ryan in just a moment to to respond to that portion. It doesn't make any sense. And, he, you know, if he wanted to make the argument that D'Antonio would be leaving because he just can't take it anymore and he has a heart concern or something, maybe that's one of the myriad reasons. I don't know. That's purely speculation on my part. I don't know what myriad reasons he's talking about. That may be the first component. But Mike Villeneuve specifically said that D'Antonio not only has pressure, but he's also specifically on the hot seat. When you say you're on the hot seat, that doesn't mean, oh, he's, he's having heart problems or he's burned out. Hot seat means he's at risk for being fired. And, and Mike Villeneuve makes it pretty clear that he thinks D'Antonio has a good chance of being fired at the end of this season. We already covered that. It's not going to
2: happen. Roll clip two. I think D'Antonio's under immense pressure but let's look at the other side of the coin isn't jim harbaugh under an unbelievable amount of pressure let's think about it for a minute for one he coaches one of the best brands in america michigan football with that comes an unbelievable amount of built-in pressure now he's entering his third year they lost damn near all their seniors last year they go and they lose three of their last four games they look awful against iowa They had no business losing the LSU game. They did. And once again, they didn't even finish better than third in the East. Football reasons, okay?
1: Ohio State, Blarg. Iowa, Blarg. Third place in the conference, Blarg. Football reasons, great. You know, Mike is giving you all the football reasons that Jim Harbaugh is under more pressure than Mark D'Antonio. What's a greater pressure, though? A pressure to win... (laughs) <laughs> a pressure to prove that you're a good man. I would argue the stakes are higher for the latter. Mark D'Antonio's character is on the line in 2017. Jim Harbaugh's character is not on the line. Jim Harbaugh could win eight games. Even Mike admits that he's not getting fired no matter what happens on the field. But what are the stakes? Mark D'Antonio is a guy who considers himself a man of principle, a man of morals, a guy who had a certain standard for his program. He takes it very seriously. Even if you think he's fallen short, irrelevant. The fact is that he cares. Okay. And the public perception right now is that Mark D'Antonio is running a program that has gone amuck, has gone to run afoul of the law. It has fallen short in a number of ways on a personal level, and that Mark D'Antonio has allowed that to happen. Those stakes are a lot higher. This is a guy who's fighting for the character and the, character, the perception of his character going forward for the rest of his life. This is his legacy, the legacy that he spent years cultivating and was very good up until about seven, eight months ago, and particularly bad the last six months. So, uh, you know, I understand what Mike Villani doing. Villani trying to have a, a radio topic, and he's got to do four hours alone, and he doesn't have Terry Foster, so he's got to – I have no problem with the topic, okay? I know it, it, it's a manufactured topic. I have no problem with it. You know, he's got to do what he's got to do. I'm not filling 20 hours a week. But I just disagree with this conclusion. I mean, Mark Dantonio's stakes—he's, he, you know, fighting for his job potentially. I don't think so, but potentially Harbaugh, no chance of that. And he's fighting for his character. Jim Harbaugh doesn't have those concerns, so I—I'm going to bring Ryan back. Normally, we're going to end the show on that note, but I—I want to bring Ryan just to comment on that. I mean, do you agree with the—the the difference in fighting for your character versus? Fighting for wins? I mean, what's the difference?
0: Totally different, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the reputation of Coach D'Antonio's program is on the line, and he knows it, like we talked about earlier in this program. You know, he is battling for hearts and minds of people like you, of alumni donors and people that would be season ticket holders that are on the fence right now. You start losing them, now you've got a major problem. But he's also fighting for the soul of his own locker room. We outlined that earlier. He's got. If his own guys aren't buying into him or the atmosphere or the culture, a word that I hate, then how can he expect the fan base to do that? How can he expect the administrators to do that? How can he expect Mark Hollis to do that? I mean, he's got to, he's always done this, but he's got to go Fort Knox, bunker mentality, start from within, build that out. That needs to permeate through those walls. And that needs to communicate itself in the form of leaders, not just the council that he puts together the 12 guys and then they pick captains they got to really live up to those standards so to win that back is a monumental task for Jim Harbaugh I mean this is a whole lot of spin for Mike Valenti, uh, and that's fine I mean if we were up to Mike Valenti, maybe he would fire Mark Dantonio after another like 4 and 8 season but he's not making that call I illustrated that earlier Mark Hollis is not firing Mark Dantonio for what you just alluded to football reasons could be other things Could be off the field. Okay, maybe. But with Harbaugh, the pressure. Harbaugh is the one who exerts pressure. Harbaugh is a phenomenon. Harbaugh is a cult of personality. Harbaugh owns Ann Arbor. You know this as well as I do. He is a bigger-than-life character, and as such, as the Pied Piper, other people will follow. And as far as losing all the seniors on defense, true, but there have been some tremendous recruiting classes that Harbaugh's put together over these last couple of years, and I do feel that the Wolverines are in reload rather than rebuild mode. Now, maybe I'll be wrong, and maybe Michigan will fall flat on their face, go 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and, and now people will be asking questions about Jim Harbaugh. And Mike is right in one respect. They finished the season on a rather sour note. They can't win away from home. When Michigan wins its next big road game, let me know, because it hasn't happened under Jim Harbaugh. So I am watching that. Mike's not entirely wrong, but in terms of pressure, <laughs> there's no pressure on Jim Harbaugh, at least not yet. No,
1: and, and you're spot on. And it's not to say it's not to say you know that there's absolutely no pressure. There's pressure on every coach, and you know of course there's pr- some pressure on Jim Harbaugh, but as a relative matter, look, this season is not a referendum on Jim Harbaugh's character. This season, fair or not, is a referendum on Mark Dantonio's character, and the stakes are a lot higher. If Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan football team underachieves this year, it's going it's to be a referendum on the 2017 Michigan Wolverines football team. If Mark D'Antonio's program runs a of the law again and ends up in the muck again, it's a referendum on Mark D'Antonio's life, his entire career, his life's work, not just on 2017. The stakes are a lot higher. You're talking about one season versus a guy's entire career. I mean, he, he will not recover ever in the public eye, if they run into it, I'm not talking about on-field. I'm talking about if they go 4-8 and, and have all these issues off the field, he's never coming back from that. That doesn't mean he's fired forever and he's going to retire, but he's, it's going to stick to him. He can still shed it if they take off and they stay clean this year. I think he can get away from it. It's never going to go away completely, but I think he can you know rewrite his story a little bit back to where it was 12 months ago. If it goes into hell in a handbasket again, I don't think there's any coming back from that. And, and just the stakes are higher on that note alone. So sorry, Mike. You know, you're the best in Detroit. Y- you booted that one. I mean, you're just, you're just wrong. And, you know, we're all wrong sometimes. So you're forgiven, Mike. But <laughs> we're, we're going to wrap up. Uh, Ryan drove all the way down here from the Lansing area to be here tonight. Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us. Uh, first guest ever. We have a couple cool ones on deck. I don't want to tease all of them, but I believe, believe, We'll have Denzel Valentine in studio uh, next week. That's looking pretty good right now. So, um, not going to say for sure, but uh, to put it about 90%, he says he'll be here. So, mm-hmm. we are working on that. And I think he has some big shoes to fill. Ryan, thank you so much for being
0: here. Appreciate uh, the invitation. I will always be honored to be the first in-studio guest for Spiro Avenue.
1: Maybe we'll have you sign the wall or something. Yeah, uh, start a tradition. Let's do it tonight. If you can find a spot on the wall that's not covered by some type of old <laughs> Michigan State uh, paraphernalia. Right. Uh, thank you to to Jed Schilling, as always, for being the, the most wonderful producer in the state of Michigan and perhaps in the Midwest. Uh, just a, a great guy. We are going to wrap up today. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue podcast. Please join us next week, probably Monday or Tuesday, with hopefully Denzel Valentine. Thank you so much.